Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Today's episode concludes our multi-part series on the Ozarks. Sure, you think you know about the Ozarks, the home of Branson, the Bald Numbers, and the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Well, in this series, we'll talk about the Ozarks, a region covering roughly half of Missouri as a cultural identity as well as a physical place. So, come along for a trip to the Ozarks. Our guest today is John Bradbury a former associate director and archivist for the Western Historical Manuscript Collection and the State Historical Society of Missouri at Rolla. He is the author of several books, including an edited volume with Lou Weimer of William Monks' Memoir, A History of Southern Missouri and Northern Arkansas, being an account of early settlements, the Civil War, the Ku Klux, and Times of Peace, published by the University of Arkansas Press. After his retirement, Bradbury served as a Center for Missouri Studies Senior Fellow. Welcome to the Our Missouri Podcast, John. Uh, thank you. Now, in looking at this uh, overall project, when one thinks of the Ozarks and, and really, you know, the Ozarks in the 19th and the 20th century, you know, this is a name, William Monks, that is, you know, perhaps not well known to some people. So how did you come to feel the need to examine Will Monks in his memoir? Well, he just, uh, he just kept popping up. Uh, you know, when I started my research into to Phelps County and the Civil War, uh, if I was finding his name in the Rolla newspapers, and there was lots of uh, talk about William Monks and these controversies that he was involved in. And then uh, uh, probably in the course of uh, the work there at the office, I met Lou Weimer from Powell County, West Plains, where Monks was from. And uh, we found out that we were both interested in him and that uh, we both knew a little bit about him and that there are some people still in West Plains who know his name quite well. Uh, that's kind of the derivation of the project, and uh, you, you don't have to do too much bibliographic research before you run across that, you know, the title, History of Southern Missouri and Northern Arkansas. So I don't know how we, we got to it first, but uh, the, the, the publication, you know, 1907, his memoir. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking at that, uh, we thought, well, this is, a, this is a candidate for, you know, republication. And that's uh, that was the genesis of the the book. Does that explain how we got there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, kind of thinking about that as you're as you're working on on your own kind of edited collection and edited volume about this, and and writing about his life and everything. Obviously, you're you're reading the memoir first and foremost. But what other sources are you looking at to kind of put his writing and his history into context? Well, say I knew him first, uh, probably through the Rolla newspapers that I was looking at, and. Uh, uh, then, you know, I find him, and he's in the War of the Rebellion in uh, 1863 and 4. Uh, you know, a lowly captain shows up in, in the Rebellion. So, he's you know, he's in all the standard sources, the standard places, you know, you would look for uh, Civil War research. And uh, I was able to make a couple of visits to the National Archives, which really paid off. Uh, when we found him as a scout, we found the actual payrolls where he was listed, you know, as a quartermaster employee of the Army scouting 
uh, you know, along the border there in South Central Missouri, Northern Arkansas, which sets up a lot of material then that happens later in his life. Uh, you know, his connections to the, uh, you know, the unionist military and then the radical uh, Republican Party, uh, that, that pretty much defines his life for the next 15, 20 years. So to answer your question, pretty much standard sources. He didn't leave uh, any papers. Uh, accordingly, uh, according to his family, they just destroyed some of his papers when he died, and others were destroyed later. So he left no personal papers. This is a, this is what you get from him uh, personally in his memoir, 1907, uh, standard Civil War sources, and then there's some some you know legal traces of his land records, his land dealings, uh, his litigation. Uh, that sort of thing. So it's a combined mix of all the usual kind of sources. Pre-online in those days, I might add, made a great deal of use of the State Historical Society's microfilms. And sure, sure. Well before kind of the advancement of digitized newspapers and digitized sources, Exactly, I guess. exactly. Digitized everything. <laughs> and some of the stuff that we looked at in the National Archives, uh, those quartermaster reports, I think, were tied. Some of the rolls, big oversized rolls, I think some of those were actually tied with the original red tape. Uh, and it was a, a pretty interesting to unroll those and find, you know, people like Wild Bill Hickok show up on those kind of rolls. And, and we did find William Monks. So, who was William Monks? If you could give us kind of a, a general overview, we're going to dive a little deeper into some elements of his life, but who was he, really? Uh, well, he was. Uh, at the time of the Civil War, at any rate, he's a, a resident of West Plains in Howell County, which is far south uh, tier of counties in Missouri, or right along the border of Arkansas, right across the, from uh, the border is Fulton County, Arkansas, which is where he spent most of his boyhood days. So let me back up to his birth in 1830 in Alabama. And then his, uh, his family moves west through uh, Illinois and finally into uh, Fulton County, Arkansas in 1844, uh, where he spends his boyhood days. And then as a young man, he becomes, uh, he gets a mail route and he starts delivering mail from Bennett's Bayou in Arkansas across the border into Missouri. And then in, say, in 1858, he locates in Howell County. So he's pretty well known in that swath of area along the middle border by then. He's also a, a unionist at the beginning of the Civil War and uh, resisted being taken into the Missouri State Guard and the secessionist, pro-secessionist Missouri State Militia, and uh, was arrested by General McBride's troops and threatened with hanging, and that's his off his military career uh, through the Civil War. That's it in a nutshell, and afterwards he becomes a identified with the radical Republican Party in Missouri and Arkansas. So over a 15-year period, uh, you can find his name in a lot of different places and in, in a lot of different places on the map in those two two county, uh, two states and across the middle border. Sure. It, it, that's, a, that's a very short answer. <laughs> sure. That's fine. So, uh, but he's unusual in the uh, literature because he's a unionist, a refugee, a scout, uh, connected with the provost marshal department, a Civil War cavalry officer in a regular Missouri uh, cavalry unit. Uh, then after the war, he becomes a Missouri state militia officer, then an Arkansas state militia officer, and he's also a serving state representative and local official. So he's very busy in those 15 years. Becomes After the war, he becomes uh, identified with the radical parties, as they say, in both states through uh, Governor Fletcher 
in Missouri and Powell Clayton in Arkansas, particularly after Reconstruction starts in Arkansas and uh, becomes identified as a uh, really a hired gun for both of those uh, state governors, radical state governors. Something I'm thinking about, too, is, is someone who's born in, as you said, in Alabama, you know, lives for a time in Arkansas, eventually crosses over into Howell mm-hmm. County. You know, what drew him to be a unionist? What, why, why the connection there? Well, it's, it's always hard to say in, in the Ozarks. Apparently, his family never had uh, slaves. They were Upland South unionists. Uh, typical of you know the upland south, all stretching all the way back into Tennessee, even into North Carolina. So they didn't really have a stake in that, and he was just uh, uh, bullheaded enough not to be coerced into something that he didn't want to be coerced into, which was secession. And he's in that band, uh, both in Fulton County and in in Howell County in Missouri. He's in that band that stretches westward almost to you know the the state boundary across the northern tier and southern tier of Missouri. It uh, has a substantial minority unionist population. In fact, in, in Arkansas, it's well known as, uh, by the term of the Arkansas Peace Society, uh, which was actively suppressed by Arkansas state authorities. In Monks's case, he was first oppressed by uh, Governor uh, General McBride's Missouri State Guard, which was it was a legal organization still at that time, but in revolt, and uh, that was that's what you know where the rub came with monks. And when he refused to um, to join the local militia, the Howell County County of the State uh, Missouri State Guard, uh, they arrested him and threatened to hang him. And they, that's a long story. They dragged him all the way across the border. They decided they'd take him over to General Price and have him tried first before they hung him. And he escaped somewhere along the line, ran into some unionist refugees, actually from uh, uh, Howell County near Springfield, and gets taken in where he meets um, uh, General Lyon, who tells him, we, we don't need you now, but will we, the government will use your services later. And he was sure right. So he comes back to Raleigh as a refugee and then winds up again in southern Illinois for a bit where he finds out through a newspaper advertisement, which we were never able to find, uh, that his wife and, and family... Uh, two children had were living in refugee as refugees in Rolla. So he comes back to Rolla, signs up uh, as in the local militia in Rolla, and that sets off his active unionist military career. Interesting. And when we think yeah. of the Civil War in, in Missouri, we often think of kind of what's going on in St. Louis um, with kind of Southern sympathies and the kind of rising German population. We think of bleeding Kansas, and eventually we think of kind of the um, you know, the Wilson's Creek battlefield and even the, the removal of Missouri's, you know, government for a time into portions of the South. Mm-hmm. Well, it's different if you're studying the state individually, the states individually, or if you're studying, as I've always kind of looked at it, as, the, you know, the Ozark region in general. And in fact, Monks, uh, at one point, uh, he was involved after the war as a radical Missouri militiaman. He invaded Arkansas twice in 1867 and 1868 with Union loyalists opposing, we'll talk, I know you want to talk more about the uh, Reconstruction part, but uh, he, he invaded Arkansas, uh, you know, twice, and somebody said, well, what right do you have to do that? And he said, well, you have, you fellows paid no attention to the state line during the Civil War. I don't see any reason why we need to now. So, I mean, that's kind of the man's reasoning. You know, he was a pretty straightforward guy in that respect. Uh, and, uh, 
at, at least in that period uh, from about 18, oh, say 1864, when he was still in the Union military as a captain to uh, to uh, know about 1869, he's a, he's a force to be reckoned with on the border on both sides of it. The, I should say also that that Unionist minority is, has been pretty much overlooked in the literature until the last generation when the whole business of guerrilla warfare, partisan business, uh, affected the war on civilians. The historians have paid a lot more attention to that, and, it, and they paid a lot more attention to that Unionist minority that never wanted any part of the Confederacy. Was there significant guerrilla warfare in Areas like Howell County, that kind of along that Arkansas-Missouri border. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the difference between you know chronic and acute, and it's it's chronic everywhere across the border. It gets worse as it goes into northwest Arkansas and southwest Missouri, and of course, then the big name in Missouri is up along the central uh, central portion of Missouri, uh, along the Missouri River with Quantrill and Anderson, uh, and they get um, had had gotten most of the. The press, actually, and and the historiographical research tended to to lean towards that, which is what monks came to believe in his later life. Anyway, was that, that their victory had been stolen by these resurgent old Confederates, you know. So it's a you say in the last generation or so, that whole business of the uh, uh, poorer class Southern whites, upland South, uh, non-slaveholders, and primarily Unionists been uh, studied much more extensively than it was when we started. Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego with some information about upcoming events. The 62nd Annual Missouri Conference on History, hosted by Lindenwood University and sponsored by the State Historical Society of Missouri, will be held March 11th through the 13th, 2020 at the Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in Chesterfield. The Missouri Conference on History is dedicated to bringing together teachers and students of history to share research results, exchange information on teaching and curriculum, and to promote the value of the discipline. You can help the Missouri Conference on History grow and share your message with over 150 people as an exhibitor, by becoming a sponsor, and by purchasing an advertisement in the program. For more information about the Missouri Conference on History, please visit shsmo.org mch. Start networking with other history professionals now on social media by using hashtag MCH2020. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to join them at this year's state contest to judge student projects. The state contest will be held on April 25, 2020 at the University of Missouri-Columbia. To thank you for your essential participation in National History Day, the State Historical Society of Missouri will provide a light breakfast and lunch plus a travel stipend of up to $50 for judges whose round-trip mileage exceeds 75 miles. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school age students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper, performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org nhdmo. During the month of December, the State Historical Society of Missouri has teamed up with Como Gives for an end-of-the-year campaign to support National History Day students. If you are interested in helping Missouri students shine, please visit the Como Gives website at comogives.com and search for the State Historical Society of Missouri. Something I think that's really interesting when I was going through the book was this, his kind of portrayal and his remembrances 
of reconstruction in Missouri, especially, I guess, Missouri and Arkansas, because as we think of the study of reconstruction, we certainly focus on, you know, Grant, um, mm-hmm. and Andrew Johnson, and of course, in Washington, D.C., and they're, you know, looking upon especially areas like the South and even groups like the Klan that come about in reconstruction. We know what goes on in North Carolina and portions of Tennessee and the South. But his writings on, on, on those events, especially in Arkansas and Missouri, are quite fascinating for how he's kind of showing how these things also affect areas like, like Missouri and Arkansas. So how did he interpret, let's say, groups like the Klan, and how did he feel about the cause of Reconstruction? Well, he, was, uh, he, he talked more about uh, his, his phrase that he used was uh, respect for the civil law. And, of course, the law was in his, in, in his favor by then. But he saw it later on. Uh, in his troubles and with uh, in, with old rebels and also former allies, he saw it as a combination of the Democratic Party and the Ku Klux Klan, and he didn't see much difference between the two. He saw one as the arm of the other, and there's some argument for that. But and uh, some of the history, uh, historians of Reconstruction have made that case, but in Arkansas, the consensus seems to be that there's just not enough evidence to say that this is an organized uh, revolt against the Reconstruction governor, of, essentially the governor of Powell Clayton of, of Arkansas. And it, uh, the fighting was quite intense in places down in, uh, farther south in, in uh, Arkansas. Monks's band was not ever involved in, in any skirmishing with the KKK. In fact, he may have run away from it the first go around. But when he returns with a gang of uh, uh, company, I should say, of, of, of about 50 men, uh, it's, he tips the balance in northeast Arkansas and uh, helps disperse the Klan in that, in that uh, neck of the woods. Whatever the Klan may have been, is either an organized entity or a partly organized, partly spontaneous response to invasion from Missouri militiamen. But it's, uh, it was quite intense in Arkansas. In fact, one of the uh, one historian whose name escapes me now said that Arkansas was one of the last states to surrender and one of the uh, least gracious to do it. <laughs> it continued for years uh, there, and it, as it did in Missouri, and uh, you know, over local control of local courts, local governments, local money. Something I was thinking about as kind of putting his memoir into context in 1907. This is a man who. You know, certainly was part of the Civil War. He certainly, you know, certainly had seen the Klan. He had seen the shift of Missouri government. I mean, he sees this, you know, the Unionists certainly controlling Missouri government. And then there is ultimately that shift towards the Democratic Party and former Confederates coming back into power for a long time. Yeah, exactly. By then he'd seen former Confederates as Missouri governors and back in the United States Senate. Uh, and you know, he in a way his book was a victory lap because he'd outlived everybody else that he was in direct contention with. But he felt uh, he he says in there that he felt betrayed by the the Republican Party that it was no longer the party that that you know he he fought for and uh, he he flirted with populist uh, uh, ideas. He was a greenbacker for a while, William Jennings Bryan person. But by the end of the 19th century, he was a Democrat. And in fact, there's some funny things in there, you know, and they were reporting about even as late as then, uh, people said that, uh, you know, Billy Monks is, con- is now a Democrat, so they've got a big road to hoe with that kind of weight, you know, attached to him now. 
so even you know the late 19th century local newspapers uh, the name monks didn't have to be explained everybody knew who he was uh, even though he was becoming a, a relic of a of a bygone past you know that radical republican uh, idea fell apart pretty quickly in, in the 1870s and his prominence declined as the radical party also declined nationally but for a while he was a power uh, on the border he also had the, the misfortune to uh, cross swords with an old ally ben benjamin also who was also a uh, a power figure in in uh, Howell County and part of an extensive family that stretches all the way across the, the Missouri border up into Greene County and spring around Springfield. But he was also a Unionist and had been uh, captured by the Confederates in 1862 and taken in and imprisoned in, in Little Rock. And after the war, they were allies until uh, Ben Alsop's political ambitions collided with Monks's over the uh, well, first the state representative position and then the state senators, uh, the senatorial election, which the, the monks ran for and lost in both cases. And once uh, Alsop had turned against him and allied with the, the so-called Democrats and liberal Republicans, well, that was the end of monks' prominence, uh, beginning of the end of monks' prominence as a radical Republican. So why do you think he decided to publish a memoir in 1907? I think it was a victory lap, but I, I think he was also feeling betrayed. He thought that no one else was going to tell this story, and, and really no one else has. It's a singular memoir by a unionist. Uh, I call him a, you know, a guerrilla, unionist guerrilla, certainly a counterinsurgent guy. Uh, about that period, it's, it's fairly critical. It doesn't, the war doesn't end in 65, you know, when everybody surrenders. It continues on the local level in many places for many years. And he was just a good example of that. And I think he thought that those, well, he, he says he's got the sacrifices in, uh, that the Union men made should not be overlooked. And he thought they were. So that's another angle. And plus he was getting, you know, late in life, reminiscent and uh, a little cranky perhaps too. <laughs> Do you think he was trying to kind of preserve and defend his reputation at all? Oh, yeah, I think so, because his reputation had been called into question. Uh, you know, he was charged with murder in 1872 over a Civil War uh, incident that took place. There was lots of allegations about uh, horse theft and petty theft uh, during his militia career, both in Missouri and in Arkansas, particularly in Oregon County, Missouri, uh, where a lot of uh, former Confederates lived. Yeah, but what really, I think, uh, people who did not like Monks hated the worst was his legal campaign after the war against his old enemies, and he wound up with some uh, of their lands. I mean, he would sue them for damages uh, for his tribulations in the Civil War. It wound up with some of some of the land of his own uh, enemies, which is unseemly, even if it's if it's legal. That's that's hardly letting bygones be bygones, you know. So he did have to defend his reputation, and this is his version of it. Despite its title, it's not a history of the Ozarks. It's a, it's a history of his career, you know, in the war and, the, and during Reconstruction. That's, that's certainly true, certainly his perspective. And looking yeah. back over the course of his life, uh, what do you think was the most significant thing about him and as well as what he writes about in his memoirs? What really struck you in looking through it? 
Well, I, I, uh, just the fact that he survived. I mean, he was such a lightning rod for uh, controversy after the war. I mean, even during the war as a scout, I mean, you're acting half the time in, in citizens' clothing. You're in mufti. You're a spy. You're an informant. That's enough to get you killed in any war. And then after the war, he's a he's a radical gunman, you know, chasing these former Confederates who are no shrinking violets. And at one point, even in uh, you know his career as an Arkansas militiaman, he, he winds up in the the uh, Arkansas State House in Little Rock, where he's been invited by the governor, uh, Governor Clayton, and he gives uh, the uh, assembled crowd, which was open to the public, anybody could have attended. He harangues them about uh, how, how Missourians had the right to come down across the border and about how uh, they should uh, shape up and obey the civil law. And if you go to that state house in Arkansas, which still stands at the state historic site, it's a very small space. And boy, if somebody was going to shoot monks, that would have been the time to do it. You know, And there were uh, not like there weren't people who wanted to. Uh, you may have seen in the in the book, a couple of the quotes from local newspapers, you know, the Ironton newspaper said if uh, if uh, William Monks turned up dead one day, we think that or, you know, the, the county could probably afford the coroner's uh, inquest. Uh, there was another uh, out of a, a St. Louis newspaper. Uh, somebody asked if there was uh, no man of any any character and stern blood who would who would manage to rid of us, rid us of this fiend monk. So uh, this is, you know. This is in the local uh, newspapers, you know, being published about uh, the man. So they were uh, advocating his his murder. And and, and Monk said that there was always a group of people in, uh, you know, down on the border that every morning drank to their health and his death. <laughs> so it's uh, I just think it's astonishing that he survived long enough that he would be able to write a memoir and die of old age in 1907. Or he died in 1913. I'm sorry. I say it's a singular singular book for its time and place. Singular. Memoir. Well, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our Missouri, please check out the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.